You're listening to episode 117 of the Tennis Files podcast. Q&A edition with Mirban. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today, I'm actually not interviewing anybody, but instead I'm doing a special Q&A episode. And I previously did... Uh, question and answer style session on uh, episodes 80 and 75. And I really enjoy doing these because what I do is I collate your questions that I receive from uh, either emails or social media and I answer them on the podcast. So this is always fun for me to give my perspective on the game. Um, But before I do that, I just want to say I hope you've been playing a lot of tennis and trying to improve your game and working on things. Uh, I actually played three times this past weekend. Uh, once uh, with a new friend I met on Saturday. Uh, shout out to Megan. She's a former college tennis player and uh, plays really well. Uh, she passed me quite a few few times <laughs> this weekend, but uh, it was it was fun playing. And then I played a combo match with my friend Alan uh, later that night on Saturday, and we managed to win in a timed out match against my other friend Locke and his partner seven six five six. And so that was great. Ended a little bit late for me, but uh, it's a good thing it was the weekend. And then I had block time doubles practice on Sunday, which is basically a bunch of us reserve uh, court time for several months through the year on Sundays from 6.30 to about 8. But a lot of times we get to play longer than that. And that's always fun, uh, fun doubles practice for me, especially when it gets to winter time. I at least have practice with some sort of uh, set frequency. So that's always fantastic. And uh, thank you to Mike for setting that up. Appreciate that. But yeah, uh, other things I've been doing, I've been reviewing a lot of my Tennis Summit videos lately. It's kind of funny because I turn out so much content through the podcast and my Summit videos and other interviews But it seems like I don't have enough time to watch them all. But I've been blocking out time in my calendar purposefully to study certain videos that correlate with what I'm trying to improve in my game. And actually, these days, it's been the serve. So I'm watching a ton of serve videos. And in case you're interested in checking those Summit videos out, you can go to TennisFilesSummit.com. Uh, And there's a lot of great content in there that'll help you level up whatever part of your game that you need to improve. But with that, I want to launch into the questions, your questions, and they were excellent. So first, a couple uh, strategic ones or ones dealing with strategy and playing different players. So Dan asked recently on, I think it was Twitter, uh, he asked, 
how do you play against servant volleyers, or how do you play effectively, of course? And so there's a few things. Uh, I mean, I actually always liked playing servant volleyers because I felt like I had targets to hit, but I think uh, more more effective advice than just trying to hit targets is this. Um, first off, you want to try to take the return early using a short backswing, of course, um, because you're going to have less time to hit the ball yourself. But uh, take uh, a short backswing, try to move up a bit, and take the return early because what this will do is give your opponent less time to get up to the net. And it'll also result in them having to hit a much more difficult volley. I mean, if you think about the different uh, difficulties of volleys, I mean, the easiest one is, of course, uh, a floating high volley. And then a more difficult one is a lower volley or a half volley uh, farther back, like at the service line. So uh, when your opponent serves and rushes to the net, if you can make contact with that ball a little bit earlier, it's going to result in them hitting a much more difficult volley deeper into their side of the court. And uh, if you can, I highly suggest that you keep that return low, of course. And, uh, I mean, one other thing, especially in the beginning of the match to get rhythm, I, I, you know, I think something that people need to do more playing against certain volleyers is to don't go for the pass on the return. I know even myself included previously, uh, whenever I, uh, face a certain volleyer, I was thinking, okay, he's, he's serving here, you know, I'm going to go, uh, uh, down the line this time and then the next time I'll go cross court but an e- even easier way to go about it is to go down the middle on your first shot and that will ensure a couple things if you can execute it correctly I mean one is if you can, if you can go down the middle and also hit a low uh, return and also preferably take it early then you're going to cause your opponent to have to hit up on the volley and uh, also create their own angle too, which is difficult. But mainly, hit they're going to hit up on their volley, and that'll set up, set you up with a much easier second shot. And on that second pass, you'll ideally have much more time to actually set up and pick a spot and force your opponent to guess instead of them, you know, setting up the play on their serve. Maybe they're serving wide, and then. Uh, they know you're going to go a certain spot or whatnot. I mean, it's uh, it's really effective and it'll give you rhythm, and you know more, you'll be hitting more returns, more balls in general. Uh, because if you just go for uh, the pass on the first shot and then you miss a couple, all of a sudden you're down, uh, you're down thirty love, forty love, and then you know the game's almost over. It's much harder to come back from that. Uh, as well, you know you can try to vary things up with your returns. Give the volley or different looks so i like once in a while to hit a chip return you know a slice uh, give them a little bit of different spin on the ball and also to throw in a lob on occasion to keep them guessing and it actually takes a lot of effort for the servant volleyer to hit the serve rush to the net and then all of a sudden have to backpedal I remember playing a sectionals match with my partner and a great friend, Victor, and we actually played a team that kept uh, kept lobbing Victor, especially on his serve, and he was actually getting really tired having to go back to retrieve uh, the ball uh, so many times. Uh, 
And so, yeah, th- those are my suggestions on how to play against servant volleyers. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other great tips that, uh, you know, if you have, feel free to submit them. But I mean, these are my favorite ones to implement against serve and volleyers. All right. So the second question of the day is by my friend Dave, who commented on Instagram. And he actually asked, how do you play against counterpunchers? So I feel like I'm somewhat giving away the answer on how to beat me. <laughs> Not totally. I mean, I I feel like I'm in between a counterpuncher and aggressive baseliner. I'd like to think actually more of aggressive baseliner. I used to be a counterpuncher. Um, just try to hit a lot of big forehands these days and track balls down. But against counterpunchers, there's a couple good plays that, I mean, what you always want to do against your opponents is to try to bring them out of their comfort zone and to a point where they're almost mentally shaken and not really, uh, I mean, don't yell at them and curse at them to shake them, but, you know, like play the sort of game that will put them out of their comfort zone. So one of these is actually to, and you should practice this in your uh, practices, of course, because it does take some touch and skill, but hitting short slices or even drop shots, and they don't have to be that great, but to force these players to come up to net to volley, which they're likely not very good at doing. So this will enable you to bring them up to the net. You know, they're comfortable just grinding away from the back of the court. But if you can hit these short slices or drop shots, they're going to be forced to come into the net if you are able to execute a decent one that's short enough, I mean, because them backpedaling all the way from past the service line or, you know, service line to the baseline would be kind of ridiculous. But uh, I wouldn't put it past some of <laughs> the players today. But yeah, uh, hit that short slice or drop shot and see what happens. Change it up, you know. Another thing that I love doing against counter punches is they're usually really quick and sometimes they'll be they'll sprint from one side to the other so a very effective play is to hit behind them so uh, this will force them to change direction from where they expect you to hit the ball and like I mentioned a lot of times if they're in full sprint one way and you hit the ball the other way the point is pretty much over because it just takes too much effort to slide squeak or I don't know why I termed it that way but to you know just all of a sudden go back the other way and I also like this play too, if you have a pretty good slice serve, especially, and I talked about this with Peter Freeman on one of my previous tennis summits, is to serve wide, so slice serve wide, and then hit behind them. And uh, that way you're going to be able to to win some, some relatively easy points with that particular serve plus one strategy. You also want to work more on your approaches and volleys so that you're actually able to close into the net and shorten the points. I mean, this is something that, you know, I really emphasize again, uh, you really need to work on comfortably um, being able to to volley especially and have confidence in the volleys um, because I think a lot of times when we're playing against counterpunchers, we feel like, you know, all we can do is wail on the ball and hopefully um, get them off balance with our ground strokes. But in fact, you can just construct the point in such a way that you can work yourself into the net gradually and then, you know, have a hopefully a decent volley to 
to hit. And that all depends on whether you can hit a pretty good、uh, approach shot, first of all, and then hit a volley confidently.、Uh, if you don't have those other tools there, the approach and volley in your toolkit, then you're going to have some trouble. And another thing that I actually always felt great about <laughs> when playing counter punches is most of the time, I mean, especially if you're at like the four five or below, I'd say,、uh, unless the four five is really good, you can be really confident that your counter puncher slash pusher, which is a more derogatory term, I suppose,、uh, of these players, that you can be confident that they won't really be hitting too many winners. So let's say they actually manage to hit a ball that takes you kind of off the court. You know, you don't need to hit a huge ball. Like, all you have to do is just hit a slice back or a loop, loopy ball back and just, you know, know that you're going to be back into the point. So I wouldn't really go for huge shots when I'm, when I'm on the run、uh, unless, yeah, I mean, pretty much almost never actually against counter punches. I'd rather. Take a more high percentage ball and then attack that. And that's pretty much what I did whenever I've played counter punchers, is just kind of work the point, hit really heavy balls, and to the point where I get a shorter ball and then, you know, hit, hit an approach shot into, you know, the weaker side or, or one that's making them run more or whatever, and then、uh, get into the net and then, and then have a, a fairly Manageable volley to hit. So, you know, just have, having that confidence that unlike an aggressive baseliner, if you are in trouble, just get that ball back somewhere in the court. You're going to be okay, usually, unless you hit like a super weak, short, high ball. All right. Hope that helped you all.、Um, number three, question number three, Trace, is from Davey, a 4-0. And Davey asks, or comments slash asks, I have difficulty hitting a good forehand on the far right corner of the court after hitting a backhand from the left corner of the court. So, is there a technique on how I should hold the racket while I'm running from the left corner to the right corner to be able to hit a good forehand? And in my view, there isn't anything different that you really need to do in terms of holding the racket. I mean, as long as you are. Fairly pleased with your technique and, and every, everything on your forehand normally, then you do not need to consciously think of how you're holding the racket.、Uh, it shouldn't be any different than how you normally、uh, hold the racket when you're moving for other shots. But really, the key to the running forehand、uh, lies in your footwork and also your weight transfer. So when you are going from the From the far, let's say you're righty from the far left corner of the court to the far right corner of the court, the proper footwork is to actually basically be sprinting to the other side because,、um, you know, there's different zones.、Uh, you know, if you have a short, relatively short amount of space to cover from one ball to the next, then you just need to、uh, shuffle. But if you have a medium distance that you need to cover, then you want to、uh, use a crossover step and then. Shuffle or move accordingly.、Uh, and then, if you have a long distance to cover, then you just need to sprint. So, in this case, you need to sprint. And then, you need to, like I mentioned, you know, in order to get、uh, a fairly good、uh, amount of racket head speed on the ball, pace, and spin, you need to actually make sure that you're planting properly、uh, on, on the one foot and then 
transferring that weight forward as you hit the ball. So uh, I hope that uh, helps there. And also you want to get enough height over the net, of course, um, by, by putting more spin on the ball uh, so that you can give yourself a higher percentage shot. And I just, you know, if, if you want, uh, Davey, feel free to email me because I'm curious, like, uh, how you're missing this shot. You know, whether you're, are you hitting it in the net? Are you hitting it out? Because uh, there could be some more adjustment tips uh, in there for you. Some of this information, uh, I mean, it's it's taught, of course, quite a bit, but uh, I learned the differences in, in footwork from uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs, who had a great presentation on movement and what type of footwork you should be using. He is the one who defined those different zones and, you know, short to shuffle, medium, implement this crossover step, and long distance, use the sprint. So to sum it up for you, Davey, focus on your footwork and your weight transfer for the running forehand. Those would be my top suggestions for that. All right, number four uh, from Danielle of 4.0. Danielle asks, My strokes are great, but my movement needs to be faster as I'm overweight. Other than slimming down, what can I do to get faster moving around the court and to get into ready position? Lots of times my opponents hit hard to the corner and I miss it since I can't run that fast. And Danielle, I mean, first off, you actually, I mean, I, I'm very proud of you for recognizing that you have to s- slim down and whatnot. But uh, you could even get faster without or, or perceived, be perceived as faster without um, losing weight even, which you should do, of course, um, if you work on your anticipation. That is having a very educated guess uh, and implementing that guess of where the ball is going to go. To do that, I mean, you, there's many different factors. I mean, first off, you, be, you, you base it on your opponent's tendencies, uh, where you are on the court versus where they are on the court, uh, how offensive or defensive of, of a ball are they hitting, uh, their racket position, the, their balance, uh, and uh, any other factors that you may be able to pick up maybe in the warm-up. So if you can recognize those different factors and then make an educated guess and just really start start moving at the appropriate time, then you're going to be able to uh, get to more balls that way. I mean, a lot of times, let's say if I'm if I'm pulled wide, against an opponent and and they have a fairly big space I'm calculating in my head and also they they are in an offensive position I'm thinking to myself there's an extremely high likelihood that that person is going to hit to the other corner so I'm basically split stepping and then like moving right before they hit the ball I mean sometimes even earlier than that so uh so that's something you can do but um also you know on your off days on either your off days from tennis or 15 to 30 minutes before practice, you should practice your footwork, you know, your speed and agility. And I say before practice, I know a lot of people do footwork after practice, but I personally find that after practice, you're very likely to be tired and you're more likely to run through the motions or struggle to get through the 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 uh, footwork workout. And, you know, that's I mean, that might be okay for building endurance, but if you want to build your speed, 
Uh, and I've learned this from from also like weightlifting and training and stuff. If if you want to build like the the power capacity or the speed capacity, you want to be fresh when you're doing it, so so that you can uh, learn to 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 hit top speed. Um, so so yeah, I would do it uh, on this on your off days or 15 to 30 minutes before practice. Create a, a sort of uh, footwork plan or workout for yourself and work those fast twitch muscles. And uh, in in saying fast twitch muscles, you know, I I see a lot of players who mention that they're going to get fit and then they do long distance running. And this doesn't mirror what happens in tennis, which is a series of many short sprints. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. So, yeah, I mean, of course, doing things like, you know, five shadow swings to the right and five shadow swings to the left you know well like i guess switching you know um start at the 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 center of the baseline and then uh hitting a forehand and then returning back to the center of the baseline and then going to hit a backhand and repeating that i mean that's always a great uh movement drill of course and uh things like implementing jump ropes and and doing uh side shuffle drills as well um, I also like doing the uh, the spider drill, which if you go to uh, my YouTube channel at tennisfiles.com slash YouTube and, and search spider drill the, in the video section, then you're going to find that. Or you don't even have to go to my page to search it. Just uh, search uh, tennis spider drill. You should find it. Um, you can do that drill. And also a modification on the spider drill is to incorporate um, lateral and more lateral and uh, and backwards movement too. Yeah, and, and on the lateral movement portion of this, another mistake that people make in addition to running long distances for trying to train their tennis movement is they neglect lateral movement. And this is something that I also did, to be honest, because I, I really love and excel at sprinting. So I I performed a lot of linear forward sprinting but uh, in my training. But according to Dr. Mark Kovacs, there is actually 70%-ish lateral movement. Actually, the International Tennis Performance Association, of which I'm a proud member, uh, they recommend the following types of training for your movement. They recommend 60 to 80% of the time you train uh, laterally and also multi-directional movements. And then 10 to 30% of the time you can you should train linear forward movements and then about 10% of the time or so uh, train your linear backward movement. Because as I mentioned, 70% of your movement uh, up to that much is, is lateral, especially if you're a baseliner, of course. Um, just, I mean, think about your movement patterns or watch matches. I mean, you're not like moving forward and backwards as much as you are moving laterally to hit forehands and backhands. So, uh, with that, I also suggest Danielle that you, um, get in the gym a bit. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you might already be, but, uh, get in the gym and then work on your strength and power 
this is definitely not the bodybuilding type of weightlifting, but rather training for uh, strength and power, which generally uh, is defined as lower reps and higher weight for strength and lower reps, medium weight for power. So one resource that can help you with this is one that I created, which is the Tennis Fitness Workout Guide. And so if you go to tennisfiles.com slash workout plan, uh, that's tennisfiles.com slash workout plan, then you can get a uh, Tennis Fitness Workout Guide. And in addition to that, I highly suggest that you pick up a copy of Strength and Conditioning for Tennis. Uh, and I think volume two is the latest one, and, and that's by Dr. Mark Kovacs. And I will link that book up in the show notes, an excellent book that uh, shows a ton of different exercises based on what you are trying to improve in your game. And also, uh, you should record yourself playing and try to see if you can identify and subsequently eliminate any efficient, uh, inefficient movement that you're making. So, uh, Daniel, I hope that helped you. Now, uh, a question from somebody that I, I don't know who this is, but they submitted the question. And <laughs> the question is, uh, I want to achieve power with control. If I hit with power, then the ball goes out. Uh, so there's a few things. Uh, I mean, one one thing from a gear perspective, firstly, because uh, it popped in my head, is you can experiment with your uh, type of string you're using. I mean, for example, I actually at one point I was using a, I forgot if they call it, called it Aero Pro or, or what, but at the time, you know, Rafa's Racket, maybe like five or six years ago. And um, that one, I, I, I actually had put some synthetic gut string in there and it just was like, it was too powerful of a, of a racket string combination. So I had to put in polyester string to bring the power levels down. And so right now I actually really like vocal cyclone. I'm using 17 gauge and uh, that, that string is low powered so I can really swing out. And uh, you know, as long as I have the, you know, enough spin on the ball, the ball's not going out. So from a gear perspective, like I mentioned, you can experiment for, for different strings and the vocal cyclone, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have any relationship with uh, vocal, uh, at least at the moment, hint. <laughs> but uh, but um, they make great string, and the vocal cyclone is only like uh, nine bucks a pack or so. So I will have a link for you in the show notes for for the vocal cyclone if you're interested. Um, but anyway, in addition to gear, uh, so strings and rackets as well, I mean, for me, the key to hitting with power consistently has always been topspin. That's always been my game. I mean, I know people hit, you know, there's a lot of players who hit flat and whatnot. But for me, I can swing as fast as I humanly can and still know that I have a really high percentage shot of these balls going in because I'm putting topspin on the ball. So, I mean, this is going to result in higher net clearance and the ball is going to be brought down into the court. Of course, you can think of of Rafa, who is probably the most extreme case. But, you know, I mean, the, the problem is if you, if you hit super flat and you're just hitting all the way out, uh, then you don't really give yourself a, a low margin. 
they're high margin for safety, and then the ball is likely going to fly out or in the net. So uh, if you can increase your top spin, then that would be fantastic. <clears throat> I mean, I also assume that you're generating a decent swing speed if you're able to hit with power here. So um, the adjustment that I suggest putting more top spin on the ball can be achieved a few different ways. One way is by closing the racket face more. Uh, another is by bringing the racket head uh, lower underneath the ball. Uh, sometimes when players are having trouble hitting topspin, you you can recognize that that they're just you know the the racket is right on the same exact plane as the ball. Um, but if you can bring that that racket lower, you can you can have more of a low to high swing versus a mostly horizontal swing path. And then with that, um, closing, uh, sorry, with that, shifting your grip a bit more towards semi-western or western will naturally close the racket head. So that, that first uh, tip within this tip, I guess, it, that'll naturally happen, the closing of the racket head uh, or the racket face with the uh, grip change here. And uh, it's more, it's it's just really much easier to create topspin the more you shift your grip towards uh, semi-western western. I I personally have a grip that's in between a semi-western and a western. That's it, it's what it seems like anyway. But yes, uh, just try each one of these adjustments one at a time, please. Don't try to do all of them at once because then it it'd just be confusing. I, that's what I suggest. So. Um, yeah, try one of them uh, and see how it works for you. But my suggestion, whoever you are, is to add topspin. And I mean, the, you know, this is very evident. I mean, even in the past couple of doubles matches I played, I've heard my uh, my partners when they missed returns audibly say, "More spin, more spin." You know, so uh, this is this is definitely a, a solid tip here that I that I think you need to implement here. Anonymous. All right, uh, this one is from Osama, and Osama wrote, Dear Mirabon, appreciate the fantastic salutation. Is that salutation? I forget if that's the beginning or end, but the greeting anyway. Dear Mirabon, my son plays under 14 tennis. His problem is that he is afraid and loses focus and, the, and control, especially in critical moments and situations. It's not just your son, Osama, but uh, for example, by... Uh, let's see. For example, by deuce and advantage, I think he means like during deuce and advantage points, add points. He cannot control his game and loses the game or the set. How can he strengthen his shoulders to get stronger and more power and therefore stronger, uh, get more stronger shots? Thanks. So this is a two-parter, of course. Uh, one is the mental side. Two is the, I guess, power and uh, strength side for, for strokes. So the first part, to address the first part of your question, you should talk to your son and ask him to come up with a few different plays to use on these points. So talking strategy, um, because I think that if you can get your son to focus on uh, what what type of strategy he's going to use on these points and, and just have that set in his mind, you know, maybe a few different plays that he can implement, then that's going to take his mind off of any nerves or anything and on to, you know, how do I get this, uh, you know, how do I get the ball to his forehand or um, 
I'm just going to focus on hitting this slice serve and then uh, cross court wide and then coming in, you know, things like that. I, I find that focusing on the execution part of tennis greatly diminishes the focus on uh, the emotional and extraneous thoughts side of things. So yeah, talk with your son and ask him and you can also brainstorm with him different plays um, setting up on how to set up the point against the opponent uh, that he can use on, especially on deuce and advantage points. And, and I think that'll help a lot. And my friend, Will Hamilton from Fazila Balls is, is really huge into this and to promoting using set plays and having plays in your toolbox that you can use in your matches and, and especially critical situations. And, uh, he, he actually has these singles and doubles playbooks and that that have plays from a bunch of Grand Slam champs, and they're really fantastic. And uh, yeah, I mean, whenever I think of plays, I kind of think of the great plays that he and his partners have uh, drummed up. So that's that's good stuff there. Uh, the second part of your question, Osama, I like to, especially for your son who's only fourteen. A couple of suggestions here are um, to to strengthen his shoulders. I like shoulder shrugs, so holding either a dumbbell or bands, uh, hooking them up to something or wrapping them around some sort of solid fixture, and then shrugging, basically. And you can Google that in case uh, it's not apparent to you on the technique from the way I'm describing it. And I also like lateral and front shoulder raises, and that's just, again, holding lightweight or bands, uh, but this time by your side. Uh, or in front, and then raising it to about shoulder height. So I guess that would be like 90 degrees. And you can start with three sets of 10 reps or so, and do that a couple times a week. And that should definitely help. All right, number seven. Uh, Dennis, a 3-0, asks uh, on advice on how to become an effective volleyer. And I can't remember if this was Will or someone else that I interviewed, but... That person said that being an effective volleyer starts with better approach shots. And that's, I love this advice because if you think about it, you know, the more you can set yourself up for an easier volley, uh, the more effective you'll be. So um, work on that approach shot, first of all, and where to hit it, uh, depending on your position and, and I think, firstly, your opponent's weaknesses. You know, work on that approach shot. And then, as far as the technical side of things, uh, there's a few areas that you should focus on. And I think one that, that is so underrated is your legs and footwork. People make the mistake of focusing on the upper body technique, and myself included. For the longest time, I focused on what I was doing with my upper body that I wasn't having the, you know, I wasn't implementing the proper footwork. I wasn't moving toward the ball. I was just kind of like a statue and just reaching for the ball with my arms. So that's no good. So legs and footwork. Also your shoulder turn. A lot of people have an inadequate turn when they're volleying. And uh, also a great tip that I actually heard recently uh, from one of my friends, Bobby, uh, during one of his clinics that I was helping out with and I thought was fantastic advice is using your big muscles. So thinking of using your chest and your shoulder uh, instead of your wrist to hit the ball. It's always... Uh, ideal to use your your big muscles on shots instead of um, 
thinking of leading with you know with your arms and wrists and all that. And one way that I love to to simplify the volley is to think of a volley as catching the ball. And what this does is it helps eliminate extraneous swinging because you see a lot of people on volleys and they're just doing too much with their swing. And I mean, if you have a, a floater, then then yes, you know you can lengthen your swing and whatnot. But otherwise, and especially on reaction volleys, you really want to just do minimal amount with your uh, with your arms. Uh, so uh, you know, in addition to the footwork and as much shoulder turn as you can get you want to just imagine catching the ball and that's going to help you simplify the stroke and of course the grip dennis continental grip or a slight variation is usually 99 times out of 100 uh, the proper grip to use all right the last question of the day for this q and a episode is from emma at 35 and she asks for Advice on power, form, and strength on her serve. And so I find several big power slash form leaks in the serve throughout, first off, myself trying to fix problems with my own serve and also in uh, helping others and observing others. The first big one is a lack of hip and shoulder rotation. So a lot of people they are not loading properly. I mean, what you really need to do, of course, is to rotate your hips and shoulders so that you're able to load the back leg. And that, that'll help you store energy, just like this, you know, similarly to ground stroke, so that you can uncoil all that energy up and into the serve. The second huge problem that people have that robs themselves of power on their serve is inefficient throwing motion. Uh, so an inefficient throwing motion has a few causes, and some of the big ones that I've recognized are, first off, you don't have a continental grip, which you need to have that grip or some variation of it in order to properly throw the racket, not over the hill or into the fence or anything, but you, to have a, a proper throwing motion. Another big one that happens, and I actually recognize this on my serve and uh, have subsequently uh, fixed it is breaking the wrist during the racket drop. So a lot of times, you know, imagine the trophy position, and then from there, instead of executing a, 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 wrist, a, a racket drop with the wrist in a neutral position, people will bend the wrist back. And that is something that you should not be doing, and sometimes that is actually caused by having uh, like a, a pancake grip instead of the continental grip, but uh, you definitely don't want to be breaking the wrist there. You lose a lot of power. Uh, Keep that wrist neutral during the racket drop and throughout the motion. Another one is you're not pronating properly. So, I mean, the way to think about it that will help, sometimes it helps to think in extremes, but the way to think about pronation here is that the racket frame, you know, when you're accelerating from the racket drop, the racket frame should actually be leading into the ball right until right before impact. So you almost imagine that you're going to hammer the ball with the racket. So you just have that sliver of the frame, the side of the you know the the frame that's leading into the ball, and then of course at the the very last moment, then that you're pronating, actually hitting the ball with the strings. But that is the way. And if you watch and slow down every single pro on YouTube, at least ones with good serves, you're gonna see this technique 
Uh, and you know you can go on YouTube and then put the video on on quarter speed uh, using the gear button and check that out. Uh, and you know this may be a scary change, maybe very uncomfortable, but this is the right way to get the most power and spin on your serve. Otherwise, you will not be able to utilize the energy that you stored up properly, and you're just going to be using all arm. Another fantastic tip as far as getting more power on the serve that's that's a leak. Uh, well that people mess up is you need to hit up on the ball. And a great tip from Greg Lasser um, from Online Tennis Instruction that uh, was given uh, recently, I think I actually saw this on TennisCon 3, uh, is that you want to imagine that your tossing arm is a rung on a ladder and you're climbing upwards. So imagine that your your tossing arm, if you're a righty, your left arm is up. And then when you're swinging, you're swinging up almost as if you're trying to you know, reach that next rung, which is your left arm, and that will pretty much ensure that you're hitting up on the serve instead of hitting forwards because you want to hit up on the ball. That That is the proper technique. Uh, a couple other power leaks are uh, having pauses or hitches in your motion. So once again, record yourself serving and uh, try your best to have a con- continuous motion. Otherwise, if you're pausing, uh, in the motion, then you're losing the momentum that you have built up through what I hope is an efficient and effective uh, motion. Also, an errant toss is, of course, going to throw off your power, especially if you're hitting tosses to the extreme left or right. So you want to catch those tosses if they're off. And you also want to be using your fingers when you toss, not your palm, to give you more control. And uh, those are my tips for developing power on your serve, and uh, hopefully those will help you out. All right, so those are the eight questions that I uh, felt would be great to answer on the podcast, and hope you got some great value from those answers. And as I mentioned, I will leave all the links mentioned here on the show notes page, uh, including uh, complete conditioning for tennis and uh, my tennis summit and and Peter's TennisCon 3 event and whatnot on the show notes page at tennisfiles.com slash 117. That's tennisfiles.com slash 117. And again, shout out to my friend Peter Freeman, who's hosting TennisCon 3 this week. When this episode is published, you're still going to be able to watch that event and you can check it out at tennisfiles.com slash tenniscon3. I highly recommend it. I've already watched three of the videos, and they have been fantastic, and there have been some great tips on there. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the show, and you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash iTunes or tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts because they changed to Apple Podcasts. I think I keep saying this for some reason, even though it's probably been like months already. But I will set up that second link, so hopefully that's up. <laughs> if it doesn't work, just go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes. And lastly, the quote of the day, and this is by Lao Tzu, is the following. Deal with the big while it is still small. And my dad, in particular, tells me this all the time, uh, that you want to just act on things early. And well, my mom tells me this too, actually, um, before they become big problems. Uh, this is especially true with your tennis game. I mean, especially if you are teaching or have 
uh, kids, you want to make sure to fix things as quickly as you can, or you know, at any age really, so that you don't pick up and ingrain bad habits in your game and then have spend way more time fixing them. So it's worth it to just invest in get a good coach that you can find or invest in these tennis programs that, you know, either myself or other instructors offer um, that can, can fix your game as quickly as possible and, uh, you know, give you much more happiness than just struggling and, and, you know, trying to figure out things yourself. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, at the same time, you know, it's, it's much easier to grow more quickly and save time by seeking out the best quality tennis instruction and advice. And I mean, that's what I just try to do. That's why I interview all these uh, great experts uh, is to figure out the tools and advice and tips and systems to help you improve your game. And so I hope you've been enjoying it. So with that, uh, it really was a pleasure and an honor to speak with you uh, one-on-one this time about my perspective on the game and tips that I have learned and utilized in my, I guess, over two decades of tennis. Let's see. Yeah, wow. Almost three decades. Damn, time flies. All right, well, um, with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really appreciate all your support and, and fantastic emails and comments on social media and reviews and subscriptions to the podcast and so forth. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. This is Mirabon signing off. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.